0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, September 14th. We begin with a look at a new research project focusing on the coronavirus and kids. We hear details out of the University of Alberta focusing on COVID-19 antibodies in children and how the results could be helpful moving ahead.
1: Do you get your annual flu shot when it's offered up in the fall? Are you planning on getting a flu shot this year? Well, we catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski with his thoughts on the importance of the flu vaccine amidst the pandemic.
0: Next, we take a look at what's on the agenda this week at City Council. Adam Toy, 770 CHQR City Hall reporter, has the details, including Council's recommendation to lower the penalty for late property tax payments by 50% this year.
1: And finally, we look back at Terry Fox's Marathon of Hope 40 years later. We speak with Daryl Fox, Terry's younger brother, about a new book featuring the memories of 40 prominent Canadians.
0: Our next guest is leading an 18-month study to measure the prevalence of COVID-19 antibodies in Edmonton children as they return to school the results will help inform the alberta government's ongoing response to the pandemic with all the details we're joined by associate professor of pediatrics in the faculty of medicine and dentistry at the university of alberta dr piush mondani good morning dr mondani good
2: morning thanks for having me
0: thank you for taking the time appreciate it this study well let's talk about the impetus behind it because we've heard about antibodies but why look specifically at the children
2: Uh, I think that's a great question, and it really comes down to three major issues. I think the first is we actually don't know what antibody levels are in kids and what would be considered positive or having sufficient number of antibodies and what's considered negative, and it may be different than in adults. Uh, the second is we don't know how long antibodies last in kids. So there's some early data to suggest that they may last six months or even less, but it may be different in children. Their immune function is still developing. And so, um, you know, this day, this study following the children for 18 months will allow us to look at how long antibodies last. And then finally, you know, school return, all parents, myself included, are concerned as to what's going to happen with that. And uh, we're going to be measuring children's antibodies now. Uh, six months from now, so you know, just part of this early school return. A year from now, so it's a fir- through change in antibodies in children through the first uh, full school year, and then again six months after that through the uh, so through the second school return in twenty twenty one.
1: Doctor, can you break down for us what exactly are antibodies, and then what do you do with this information as you go along?
2: Right. So antibodies are small proteins that your body makes uh, that um, recognize some part of in this case, the uh, virus that causes COVID-19. Um, and they help prime your immune system to say, hey, this is something that we have seen before and we've not liked this and we should do something about it. And so in terms of, uh, sorry, the second part of your question.
1: It would, I mean, you, so you get the information now, you're going to follow these kids. What potentially can you do with that info? Or is it just more research-based that you were looking at?
2: no i'm hoping that it's actually going to be usable in more real time as opposed to waiting for two years uh for some paper to come out somewhere i'm i do not think we're, the plan is to be that esoteric i think what we're working uh, very closely with Alberta Precision Laboratories, so public health labs, and with uh, the chief medical officer of health office, so that we'll start to be able to get data um, and review it with those two groups on a monthly basis to see, well, what's what's the changes in, in antibody levels looking like through the first month, next month, after that, are we seeing specific trends among certain age groups or demographics or areas of, of the city of Edmonton? Um, so I think we'll hopefully we'll be able to start to action uh, the data sooner than two years from now, because uh, who knows what two years from now the yeah. pandemic is going to look like.
0: Dr. Further to Sue's question, when we talk about antibodies versus a vaccine, if we are lucky enough to get a vaccine sometime in the next several months or, or next year, how does that differ? If we get a vaccine, does it uh, essentially give us the antibodies, or are they completely different?
2: Well, the vaccine... Um, the way the vaccines uh, can work is uh, you get some, basically you're exposing uh, your body to some part of the virus or the inactivated virus, uh, depends on the type of vaccine or the, or the dead virus. And then you're tr- priming your, your body's immune system to, to uh, start to generate antibodies. So you're not giving antibodies, you're priming the immune system to start to make its own antibodies. And then have those memory cells around, and um, if you actually get um, the virus that causes COVID nineteen later,
1: Doctor, is some of the study is the point of it to see why some of these young people have these antibodies but never get sick? Is that sort of you know part of what you're looking at too?
2: Absolutely. So we definitely ask questionnaires throughout the study. We have some baseline data that we're taking now, and then we'll be asking questions of the families every two weeks. Have they been exposed? Have have they been tested, which is a strong advantage of Alberta is that we have uh, universal testing availability for, for anybody, even if they're asymptomatic. We talk about travel, whether they've been gathering. Um, and so we'll be able to start to track some of these behaviors and changes and exposures over the last six months to whether they have changes in antibodies.
0: One of the one of the questions uh, listed in an article on folio.ca, which breaks down some of your findings and the direction you're going in here, says, what's the difference in antibody rates between the children who go to school and those whose families choose Mm. online learning? So it's a very interesting, I guess you have two subsets within this study.
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, we definitely ask about school, uh, what type of schooling are the children uh, participating in and uh, appreciating that that may change um, as the school year progresses. And so that's part of the question that we're asking is, uh, you know, are they going to school? Are they doing online school? Does that change over time? Um, and, you know, are, there, uh, are they in part of schools that have outbreaks or not? And so, again, that will help us to determine the, the it's not really transmission in a way because we're not doing the nasal swab or the throat swab, but really changes in in antibody. And I think, as you rightly pointed out, children can be more symptomatic, asymptomatic even. Um, and so trying to understand uh, why why does that occur? There's some... Some data to suggest that maybe it's related to um, how severe COVID nineteen you get, as to how how much antibodies you make and how long they last. And we should be able to at least get some sense of that.
1: Mm-hmm. How long the antibodies last—that could be really key, couldn't it? Is it too late for people to enroll in this study, or do you have all your participants?
2: No, they can still uh, enroll in Edmonton uh, at uh, childstudy dot uh, no childstudy at ualberta dot No vowels in the child study. Um, uh, words. uh, there, I should mention that there is a sister study or brother study in Calgary <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, that is going forward, uh, led by Jim Kellner. I think they've, they've had a fantastic response, but, um, you know, it's really an Alberta, it's an Alberta, uh, project, uh, focused on Calgary and Edmonton, but, um, you know, I think we're working, uh, in partnership with both studies and with the government to try to, try to shed some light on this important issue.
0: Good stuff. Uh, We're looking forward to it as it moves along. Thank you so much for your time, doctor.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: That is Dr. Piewish Mondani, of course, a professor, associate professor of pediatrics in the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry at the University of Alberta.
1: Fascinating. Uh, You know, uh, I think it'd be really interesting to to have your kid involved in that, to have them test to see, you know, do you have the antibodies? How long do they last? Did you get any kind of symptoms at all? It's because there's so much that we just still don't know.
0: The, the intricacies of COVID-19 mm-hmm. is that some people will be in hospital for weeks. Some people don't make it through to the other end. And I know there's people, oh, it's such a low percentage. But we've heard more and more about the health implications falling. Yes. But to your point, how maybe you have a child at home that hasn't missed a beat, hasn't missed a day of school, and has the antibodies, and which means why? it's been through their right? system. Why? It is just fascinating. Yeah. And, and, and also to hear, not to be gloom and doom, that this is COVID-19 and this is the pandemic coronavirus that we're in right now. Maybe in the future. That's why we have to really gather this info so we can battle the next one, whenever that might be.
1: 719 now. Do you get your annual flu shot when it's offered up each fall? Are you planning on getting your flu shot this year? Well, with flu season just around the corner, we thought it would be a good time to talk with our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. Hi, Dr. J. Good morning. Let's talk about the flu shot. More important than ever, or do we not need it because we're all hiding in our homes basically anyway? Uh,
3: More important than ever. Why so? Yeah, why so? If you've never had one done, this is the year you absolutely want to get one.
0: Yeah, but we're hearing more and more, Dr. Jane. It might be counterintuitive that, yeah, we have this pandemic on, but uh, reports here and there that the uh, flu season might be less severe because we're social distancing, because we're hand sanitying, because we're wearing a mask. What about that uh, school of thought?
3: In theory, if we keep doing what we're doing, all the precautions we're taking, uh, we are going to have a very good flu year. Uh, Australia and New Zealand usually uh, tells us what's going to happen. They had a very good year. Uh, They had a very high immunization rate. They were uh, being very, very diligent with uh, all their precautions and had a very, very low uh, death rate from your typical influenza. So they did extremely well, which bodes well for us if we do exactly what they did.
1: Dr. Jay, here's a text from this morning. I get the flu shot every year. You couldn't drag me in for one now. No way. So are you hearing that? And, and why do you think people might think that way?
3: Well, I mean, the only challenge really will be uh, social distancing uh, in the lineups to get your flu shot. Like mm-hmm. actually having to go somewhere. Uh, where there may be potential risk. So uh, the public health and all the pharmacies, the clinics, it's going to be very, very difficult to figure out how to do this and do this safely because there should be a large numbers trying to get in. But that's the only concern. And I think we can get it right. We've been doing COVID swabs. So if we can do that safely, then there's mm-hmm. no reason why we can't immunize safely. But no, this is the year you want to get out. You know, make sure you plan early and get there. And go to a place that knows if it's efficient and safe, and then get it done.
1: Maybe drive through flu shots okay, yeah. like we've been doing yeah. with COVID well, stuff.
3: They're they talking about again. Depends on how our weather holds out, but uh, the same way we can do the the quick swabs in a you know, parking lots or outdoors, or is there ways that we can do this mm-hmm. uh, quickly and safely? Now, flu shots can't, uh, you know, typically there, there is a bit of a process, right? Filling out forms mm-hmm. and there's a lot of uh, talk. So they might streamline the process this year so it's much quicker. So the lineups can be shorter. Instead of running big clinics infrequently, run smaller clinics very, very frequently. Extend the yeah. hours. Just make it as easy as possible so you can get as many people through as possible.
0: Dr. Jay, what about, you know, the school of thought that I don't like to get the flu shot because I get sick when I get the flu shot. I get the flu if I if I don't have the flu shot. I don't get it. If I do, I get the flu.
3: Yeah. So this, we, we've heard this forever. Right. Some people are are convinced of this. Uh, I mean, your body has to react from an immune point of view. So sometimes people view that as actually getting the flu. But you really don't get the flu. Uh, But a vaccine forces your immune system to act. And by acting, sometimes I I do feel a little achy or, uh, you know, feel like a very mild symptoms. But typically they are mild and they are not the actual flu. So they're not truly making you sick. So I don't I don't accept that as a good argument, um, although people certainly have been saying that for years and years and years Mm -hmm. for sure.
1: Well, we say go get the flu shot and and try to, you know, do your part not to get sick this winter and and avoid COVID at the same time. Thank you for joining us, Dr. J. Appreciate your time. Okay, you betcha. That's Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. (laughs) Sue DL, Andrew Schultz with you and a busy agenda plan for today's City Council meeting, including discussions around transit and face masks. To find out exactly what's on the schedule, we're checking in this morning with Adam Toy, our 770 CHQR City Hall reporter. Good morning, Adam.
4: Morning, Sue. Morning, Andrew.
1: Lots on the docket today. Do you want to run down for us what uh, what councillors will be discussing?
4: Well, uh, as you mentioned, uh, transit ridership and how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected that, as well as mobility trends, how traffic on the roads has been affected. Uh, there's also uh, they're also going to be talking about uh, potentially as you heard in the, in the major news with Tony there, uh, a, a potential break for people who are having to pay uh, their property taxes uh, late coming up here uh, in October. Uh, they're also looking at the face mask,, viola, how effective that has been, as well as a potential, or yeah, potentially naming uh, some, a, a number of buildings as a historic resources designation.
0: I want to dig into the uh, tax relief, Adam, because that is the big one. I think a lot of people had uh, deferred their property taxes; still have to be paid. But the penalty—it's—it's it's going to be a little bit different, a little bit of a break for Calgarians. Is that right? Uh,
4: well, it, it, that is what administration is is proposing. Um, a, a council did. Uh, uh, suspend uh if you had a, a july one pra- property tax late payment uh they uh, council did suspend the penalty of seven percent on that tax bill uh council also did suspend uh the two percent administration fee on missed payments for those who are on the tax installment payment plan council will this t- uh today uh or today or tomorrow because it's a, it's a combined meeting of council could run into a second day uh they're looking at uh, reducing the penalty uh that would be on October 1 from seven percent down to three and a half percent. so if you've got a multiple thousand uh, dollar tax bill that could uh, save you a, a number a, a lot of money and I mean cal- council recognizes uh, the or at least in, in past comments they recognize that this has been a tough this has been a tough time for Calgarians even before the pandemic hit.
1: Yeah, true. Uh, let's uh, jump over to the mask bylaw because I know that's been you know great uh, in, in terms of numbers of people who are obeying and listening and wearing masks, but they're going to discuss it today and even despite those numbers.
4: Right. So you'll remember August 1, uh, face covering bylaw went into effect. Any public places in the city, you had to have some sort of a face covering. Uh, it's uh, Two and a half weeks later, uh, they, uh, the, the city did a, a, a survey of 500 Calgarians, uh, 89% of whom said that they were wearing uh, face covering in public and confined spaces. Uh, and 88% said that they supported uh, the bylaw. Uh, but perhaps even more interesting is that uh, Calgary Transit, it was mandatory for all transit drivers or riders to use the mask. Uh, the uh, transit had a, a customer face covering compliance rate of ninety five percent. So ninety five percent of uh, transit riders were covering their face using masks. Uh, meanwhile, too you know in mid July that was only forty five percent. So it was a significant step up, uh, and it, it, it you know helps uh, provide some safety for those transit users uh, it, since the bylaw came in effect.
0: Uh, speaking of transit, let's talk about that mobility trends. Uh, Report. It's tough because I'm not sure how this could really shape the future of transit, seeing as this is such an unusual time. Are they just trying to look at the options and uh, and see if they can stretch things out over the next, uh, uh, I guess, several months or years the way that things have been?
4: Well, uh, so the it, that's that's a, a couple of things that you you mentioned there, uh, Andrew, the mobility trends, and then the transit uh, report. The transit report basically shows that uh, the average weekday boarding, the average number of people who jumped on transit, has dropped by uh, around seventy percent. Uh, but that's up from a ninety percent drop. Uh, from the first two weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic. So transit ridership has uh, continued to increase. However, uh, transit and administration are advising the council that this is still a, uh, a, a vital service to provide to Calgarians. And with a city that's as spread out as it is, uh, it's it's challenging to get around if you don't necessarily have a car, especially if to, if you have to go to work.
1: Well, council's back Sarah. in action today. We appreciate your time, Adam. Got to let you go. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for your time. That's Adam Toy, 770 CHQR City Hall reporter. We gotta have heroes to teach us all to never give up on a dream. Terry Fox was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, raised in Port Coquilum, B.C. At the age of 18, Terry was diagnosed with bone cancer and in 1977 had to have his right leg amputated six inches above the knee. Now, while he was in hospital, that's when Terry was so overcome by the suffering of other cancer patients, a lot of them young children, that he decided to run across Canada and raise money for cancer research. And he would call, as we all know now, his journey the Marathon of Hope. Well, fast forward 40 years and Terry's brother daryl fox is marking the anniversary of the marathon of hope promoting a new book called forever terry a legacy in letters and we have the pleasure of chatting with daryl fox this morning hi daryl
5: good morning hi too hi andrew
1: thanks so much for joining us Uh, you know it's it's a beautiful book it's memories of terry and we all remember something different about terry fox and his run so talk to us about how this idea to have you know the likes of jan arden daryl sittler lloyd robertson famous canadians write about your brother
5: well, it was, it was only my idea. I mean, I'm responsible <laughs> for every letter in this book. I, I put it all together. It was just me.
1: Good
3: work. I wish.
5: Sue, <laughs> I wish. No, we had. It's it's a great team at. Uh, we, I called them the Penguin people who published the book, and and also I c- got to give kudos to James McGrath, uh a uh, Terry Foxer for life, who came up with the idea and. Um, when he proposed it last July, we we jumped on board right away. We thought it'd be an excellent way to celebrate the 40th anniversary, and then we started to worry <laughs> because there's not one author for this book. There's 40, mm. so and so time was was not an ally. We, it wasn't on our side. We knew we had our work cut out, but we also knew that. We felt that Canadians would uh, respond um, to being uh, approached, and, and that's exactly what happened. They were more than willing to to share their thoughts, their Terry thoughts, with, with uh, us and the, the rest of the world.
0: What was direction given, Daryl, to these uh, you know, writers, these uh, just awesome Canadians, who obviously have opinions about Terry and what he had done and what uh, his work continues to do? Was there a certain number of pages? Did you give them a direction, or did you say, here's a blank slate?
5: Pretty well, uh, Andrew. A blank slate. I mean, there was a, a limit to the to the number of, of words, and uh, so there there was a, a role there in terms of editing some some of the letters down. Um, but we wanted them to to have uh, an open uh, and a blank canvas to you know to put their Terry thoughts and in, in how if you know Terry has inspired them how and uh, and how they see Terry forty years removed from the Marathon of Hope and. Um, by looking at the list, it's, it's you know it's varied. The backgrounds are, are very different. You've know, got the professional athletes and um, the those in the entertainment world, um, and then in the business world. But we, then we have everyday Canadians that what we call the Terry Foxers, who are I think responsible for the fact that Terry's legacy is still vibrant. to have been supporting and raising money for cancer research forever. And there's some great stories. Uh, and that was a real challenge. Andrew, trying to, to narrow the list of Terry Foxers down to a handful. Uh, we could have filled 40 books with their stories.
1: I bet. We'll, volume 2, we'll be waiting for that. Daryl, you know, you've got, a, obviously, a very unique perspective of Terry Fox. So what was it like reading those stories of other people's memories about your brother?
5: Well, um, Needless to say, I have an incredible thirst for all things, Terry. Um, I was there in nineteen eighty. I witnessed the marathon of hope. Um, I witnessed a miracle um, it carries with with the within me every day of my life. so to have something in common with with the forty riders as they express their their thoughts and feelings towards Terry is I just can 't get enough of it so you know it um it was like uh, my birthday every time a, a letter landed in the inbox mm. and and i opened it and, and read it and 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 i'm holding the book in my hand right now it's it's going to be very close by for the rest of my life and you know if i ever think i'm having a, a difficult or challenging day i just need to to read from wayne gretzky or tom cochran or michael buble or uh jay triano and and uh you know my bad day's immediately gone
0: Daryl, you know, I wasn't there with him like you were, but I, f- I think a lot of Canadians feel like they were. I so remember true. watching, I was eight years old, watching on television, my parents explaining to me the significance of what Terry was doing, and then following up with movies and the documentaries. To me, I've always taken away the blood, sweat, and tears, the grueling time and the hardships, but one thing you touch on is it, it wasn't always, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. There was some fun, Had, and, and you uh, speak of Terry's uh, sense of humor as well.
5: Yeah, I you know, um, so I was uh, 17 um, when I joined Terry on the road. And, you know, I, I took a quick look at my resume and realized I had nothing to offer. <laughs> so, but the one thing I had was a sense of humor. At least I did in 19, 1980. I've lost it since. <laughs> but, but the, you know, Terry had this incredible ability to, to laugh and smile. Um, and, and, you know, you see there are photos in the book of Terry um, sharing that big smile and and that was my role you know I, the, it was exceptionally stressful it was it was as you just said Andrew blood sweat and tears it, you know every day during the day that's what it was like but the moments when we had uh, an opportunity and Terry had a chance to relax they had to be they had to be good moments and happy moments and they were you know we it was a an a unique team and a great team um and it was a small team but we cherished those moments where we could relax and, and 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 fool around. And Terry had like a Steve Martin like um, <laughs> sense of humor, so we enjoyed skits and pranks on anyone who was part of the entourage, including the police officers, the Ontario Provincial Police in particular, who um, who uh, escorted Terry. We were always um, fooling around and stealing things that we shouldn't have been stealing from <laughs> them, and having some fun.
1: Uh, I was 13 at the time myself. I remember most, because I I wish that I had been able to go and run with him. Every time Terry entered a, a town or a city, there were always kids running along with him. And that's the the thing that I remember most. I think, you know, it, it's important too that we point out the royalties from the sale of this book are, are going to the Terry Fox Foundation, which continues to raise millions of dollars. Talk to us about that.
5: Well, that's that's what it's all about. That's so important to us. Um, you know, Terry would uh, pass on all the recognition, the school names, the statues, and, and honors he's received, and, and trade them all for another dollar for cancer research. You know, that's why he ran across the country. He really did not enjoy, he, he was very uncomfortable with all the praise he was receiving. It really bothered him. Um, but the money did not. You know, it, and uh, that was so important, and that's why I think he'd be beaming right now. That smile is there. He'd be radiant with... With how we've continued his his dream, and and you know he said when he was forced to stop running on September first, it it's got to keep going without me, um you know that the baton has to be passed and it was and Canadians have not forgotten and uh, that's why the you know that figure is so significant eight hundred million has been raised over the last forty years.
0: A great read uh, for a great cause. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Daryl.
5: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Sue.
0: That is Daryl Fox, brother of Terry Fox.
1: And the book is called Forever Terry, A Legacy in Letters. TerryFox.org for more information.
0: Time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Life happens at (laughs) HelloWestDistrict.com. So far, so good. If you're just heading into the downtown core this morning, Memorial Drive, nice and light, coming off of both Deerfoot and Crowchild Trails. at boat trail onto 9th Avenue, that's also running problem-free as you make your way out towards McLeod. Uh, and McLeod Trail itself, northbound lanes, running problem-free from Glenmore Trail up towards 17th Avenue. There are ongoing lane closures along 17th Avenue, though, at various intersections to accommodate physical distancing. And that does happen between McLeod Trail and 14th Street. Calgary moved to TELUS and get 227% faster down. Download speeds than Shaw's Freedom Network based on open signal independent analysis. It's the slash network. For the 770CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard.